You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national and international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is coming to you live from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. I just lied. The program is, com- is coming to you live on many radio stations around the country via the Community Radio Network, but many other radio stations play it at a later date. But you can always go to the podcast, 3cr.org.au. Now, Anarchy. Somebody asked me for a definition yesterday. Anarchos without rulers. Didn't expect that this person would ask me for a definition. Never thought they were anarchists, but as I keep saying, you can be an anarchist and you don't know about it. So what's... What's different about anarchism? Well, it's a concept that people are able to organise their lives on a societal level, not just a personal level, but a societal level, involving millions of people on the basis of not actually having rulers. And rulers are people who make decisions and uh, the main thing that gives a ruler power is inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, devolve power, it's the struggle to hold wealth in common. So it's a very simple concept, nothing radical about it. It's been around for thousands of years. What is really radical, in my opinion, is the private investment for private profit agenda. That is really radical. I mean, anarchism is a very sensible, sensible concept. Now, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Shambolic is the word that comes to mind. Shambolic. Mr Prime Minister. I don't think Mr Morrison could organise a chook raffle at the local pub, to be honest. I don't think he could actually organise a chook raffle. And the trouble is, when you organise a chook raffle, the only uh, victim is the chook and possibly the person who uh, wins the raffle and forgets about the chook for a few days and then eats it and gets gastro. But, <laughs> shambolic. I have never... And I've been on the planet for 70 years now. I have never seen a more shambolic federal government than the current Liberal National Party government, led by Mr Morrison. I mean, if you have all the power that you have as a government where you can actually pass legislation and you can make extraordinary decisions as we've seen over the last few years, Years. 
you would think, now, the key word is think, that there would be a little bit of forward planning. And every time the COVID-19 pandemic is thrown up a challenge, which is obvious to everybody, almost everybody in the country, that it's going to happen, that this challenge is going to happen, the federal government seems to be, you know, a hundred metres behind the starting line. It's just incredible. And you really have to ask yourself, why do we find ourselves in this situation? Why did we find ourselves in a situation of having hotel quarantine in the CBD of uh, major cities? Why did we find ourselves in a situation when vaccinations became available that the government actually hadn't ordered any or ordered the wrong ones? Why did we find ourselves in the situation when personal protective equipment was required, simple things like masks? There were no masks to be held. Why did we find ourselves in a situation when the Delta strain was all, all the go and it entered the nursing homes that people died like flies? When everybody had been saying these are exactly the same people who are going to find themselves at the greatest risk. Why did we find ourselves in a situation where when the vaccination program began for aged care residents, and this is a Commonwealth responsibility, that the staff weren't vaccinated at the same time. It was left up to individual members of staff to uh, source their own vaccination. Why did we find ourselves in a situation that uh, when we knew there was the possibility of variants, new variants was a real possibility, that and the rapid antigen testing had come into play, why did we find ourselves in a situation where we don't actually have any rapid ant antigen testing? Why did we find ourselves in a situation where when we required hospital beds, that although all the right noises has been made, that although the beds are there, the staff aren't there, and the list goes on and on. So the response has been shambolic. It's a nice word, isn't it? Shambolic. And as I said at the beginning, I don't think Mr Morrison could actually organise a chook raffle in the local pub. I don't think it would be possible. But he's the Prime Minister of the country... He has extraordinary powers as Prime Minister of the country. He leads a federal government, which to me looks like a kangaroo's in the uh, crossbeams of a hunter's, you know, foray. Crossbeams of the headlights. They just seem to be incapable, not just unwilling, but incapable. For example, when it became obvious to everybody except possibly the Mr Christensen and Mr Morrison, that uh, rapid antigen testing you know, should be provided by the government of the day in order to overcome this particular situation we find ourselves in currently, that he said publicly, oh, 
the government shouldn't be providing free ant- rapid antigen testing to the people of the country because, you know, because it's going to interfere with the private sector. It's going to interfere with the private sector. And that's the key. Every step of the way as far as the COVID-19 pandemic has been held, has been tackled, has been based on using the private sector. We gave CSL a billion dollars to expand their facilities so we could actually have access to AstraZeneca, which no longer is the... uh, you know, the vaccine of choice, a billion dollars, which they've kept. And don't forget, then we had when we had JobKeeper, which, a good concept, that $18 billion went to corporations and companies that increased their profit during the COVID-19 pandemic, increased their profits. But there was no mechanism via which the federal government could say, excuse me, can we have that $18 billion back? Could we have that $18 billion back? Now, I'm sure that if you uh, got a few extra hundred bucks from Centrelink, if you're in that unfortunate situation, that uh, they'd use every, every trick in the book to get back that money and deduct it from your uh, regular social security payments. Or it's a bit bigger draggy for the courts, as we saw with robo-debt which was obviously a totally illegal, illegal government-endorsed program, which caused a lot of distress and even suicides among people who were harassed for small sums of money. But when it came to the $18 billion, oh, look, we can't name them and shame them and we can't ask them for that money back because maybe if we ask them for the money back we won't get any donations for our election re-election program and we're going to need a lot of money and a lot of advertising in order to convince the Australian people that although we're shambolic in our response and although we've caused a lot of personal damage to individuals and businesses and workplaces And although we really haven't quite understood that the private investment for private profit mantra isn't exactly the, you know, the concept that we should be using to tackle a pandemic, we need to be, you know, we need to come back as your government. So don't worry about it. We'll come back and we'll we'll sort it out. We can't give you any more tax breaks, can we? Oh, we could. Well, we'll think about it. So, think about it. No national disaster centre. No quarantine facilities. They're all closed down years ago. No capacity to provide surge, what we call surge staff in periods of an emergency. A quarantine, hotel quarantine system, which was, you know, run by private security guards who had no training or even personal protective equipment in some cases, as far as the the virus was concerned. And it continues, even now. They still haven't 
offered a third vaccination to those uh, aged care residents who, who want it. And anybody could have told you, and they had, most of them had their last injection, their second injection in April. It's now January, and any protection they had is diminished, and in some cases greatly diminished, and it's no wonder that almost 40% of every aged care facility now has residents in, inside it with COVID-19. Extraordinary. And when you get people like Mr Christensen, a member of the National Party, Mr George Christensen, in our spouting his garbage, and the federal government kind of saying, oh, well, you know, you know, let him go on. We, we disagree with him. But no move to actually expel him from the National Party. No move whatsoever. I assume you've got to uh, maybe spit on an image of the Queen to be expelled from the National Party. I don't know what their expulsion uh, procedures are. And then we have that really, really famous thing that they've done in the last few weeks, and that's a let it rip, the let it rip philosophy. In other words, let's COVID-19 work its way through the population. Now, let it rip, a let it rip philosophy, I think, you know, could have merits, but it's a little bit like going out on a fishing boat without a, a life jacket. I mean, some people do, but you're pretty stupid if you do. Because a life jacket at least gives you the ability to survive a disaster. Well, somebody not wearing a life jacket may not survive the same disaster. It's the same with the pandemic. Let it rip. Why would you let it rip before you had measures in place in terms of uh, staff, hospital beds, vaccination, and the list goes on and on, before that was in place. Obviously, anybody with a one, one synapsing neuron in their brain, and we've got billions of them, would have realised that if you let it rip before measures aren't in place, to deal with the consequences, well, then you're going to have problems. And then you've got this other thing, which I find extraordinary, that you're trying to use unhealthy workers to keep the economy ticking over. Now, most Australians aren't stupid. They were withdrawn. They haven't needed legislation to say, you know, don't spend, don't go to things. Most Australians have made that decision that, you know, it's not worth the risk because of the current uh, uh, rates of infection. It's not worth the risk. But here we have a government saying, well, we need the economy. To have a healthy economy, we need people to get back at work. And if they're unhealthy, bad luck. Well, think of it. It's not unhealthy people which create a healthy economy. It's only healthy people which create an unhealthy, which create a healthy economy. Even if it's a private investment for private profit uh, model. There's no point having unhealthy people spreading infection to keep the economy going. I mean, it's, it's an oxymoron. And that's the, that's the latest, latest shambolic program. So every time I see Mr Morrison being interviewed, and I try not to, 
but I have to in order to, you know, keep you up to date. The sacrifices I make, extraordinary they are. Looking at people that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't even buy a ticket at the chook raffle at the local pub if he was selling it, because it was like the bloody chicken would have gangrene or something. But, yeah, you know, every time you look at him, as I said before, he looks like he's kind of been in the spotlight. It's never been hunted in the spotlight because the Liberal National Party has no, no answers. It ha- has no answers because ideologically it believes that a private investment for private profit agenda is the be-all and end-all of everything. It, doesn't, it seems to equate hairbrushes with food. It seems to equate rubber bands with essential services. Because, see, even in a capitalist economy, not everything is a level playing field. I mean, there are essential goods and services which people need to survive. That's an economy based on need. And then there's the economy based on want. So the mistake they make constantly is that the, the economy based on need is exactly the same as an economy based on want. It doesn't matter how much cash you've got in your pocket. If there's no food, you're going to starve. It's that simple. So there are sections of the economy, even in a capitalist society, which should be managed or even owned by the state in order to provide those essential services to the people in that sovereign nation state, whether it's electricity, whether it's water, whether it's gas, whether it's food, whether it's education, whether it's health care, and the list goes on and on. So what are we doing over the last 40 years? We've had an ideology, neoliberalism in place, and I'm sorry to use these words, corporatisation, globalisation, deregulation, privatisation, which has used this as its mantra, its cornerstone, its foundation stones, its biblical reference for everything. And we've seen so many public assets dissipate. We've seen so many jobs disappear overseas because in the short term, it's cheaper to produce your masks overseas. But when push comes to shove, although we live in a supposedly globalised economy, if you've got no local production, as we see now, you find yourself in a situation. For example, Mr Keaton and his government, one of the highlights of their uh, regime, was the privatisation of the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory. I think it's 1994, could have been 1995, and the shares were listed at about $2.75, if I remember correctly. They're over $300 now, I think. Not that I keep an eye on the share market. But the key was, while the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory was in public hands, we had the intellectual capacity and the physical capacity to create and produce vaccines at a cost, a fraction of the cost that we have to pay today. So you had security. And you see, the difference between, say, China and Australia is very simple. 
the Chinese government understands that there are certain facilities and institutions that need to be in public hands, whether you agree or not with the, you know, the, the Communist Party's domination, which I don't agree with, of their society. They understand that basic necessity, that while you have sovereign nation states, the basic responsibility of the people which represent the people in that sovereign nation states, whether it's a dictatorship or a you know, so-called parliamentary democracy, is to be able to provide security. And security doesn't mean just having, you know, thousands of people, you know, carrying rifles and shooting missiles. Security means food security, housing security, financial security, security as far as healthcare is concerned, and the list goes on and on. And we don't have that because we have a shambolic government which, to a significant degree, is, this shambolic government, is a creation of the private investment for private profit mantra, which now dominates every aspect of life in this country, whether it's an essential service, whether it's food, whether it's water, whether it's electricity, whether it's gas, whether it's education, whether it's healthcare, and the list goes on and on. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia. My name's Joseph Scott, I'm hosting today's program. So, let it rip, let it rip, let it rip. And if you let it rip without taking, uh, you know, taking, uh, you know, doing, making sure that uh, you've done all the right things, then you're going to have problems. You know, if you, you don't sandbag your home and it's going to flood, you're going to have more problems than the person who sandbagged it, unless it's a massive flood. If you don't wear a life jacket when you go boating, well... Your chances of uh, dying are much greater than somebody who's wearing a life jacket, and the list goes on and on. So if you're going to let a pandemic rip because it's good for the economy, you're going to create unhealthy workers, and you don't have in place the institutions, the personnel, to deal with the consequences of letting it rip, well, then we deserve what we get because we consistently somehow think that the private investment for private profit mantra that has dominated life in this country for so long is the only way, and that's the key, only way that uh, things can uh, continue. All right, the Australian reality show. The hand of God, indefinite arbitrary detention. Now, poor old Novak pushed out of the country because he wouldn't get vaccinated. A lightning rod for anti-vax sentiment. Yeah, I thought Mr Christensen, member of the National Party, member of the government, was a light, lightning rod for anti-vax sentiment. Well, the United Australia Party, they were lightning rods for anti-vax sentiment. But what I want to talk about is reality. Now, I understand that Mr Coates has been the head of the uh, International Olympic Committee in Australia for decades, although there was a concerted effort to oust him at the last... Uh, ballot, but uh, he, he got back in, has been asked by a number of organisations to raise the plight of two Australians. One has been detained for 18 months, one has been detained for three years. 
a business person and a journalist. Been detained by the Chinese uh, Communist Party on, uh, you know, arbitrary detained on spurious kind of charges. And uh, Mr Cates said, well, you know, it's not my bailiwick. Not my bailiwick. Now, obviously, obviously we all think, you know, this is unpleasant. But look, let's look at the hand of God in Australia. And the hand of God is not that soccer star who, uh, you know, got that illegitimate guy, I think it was in, 90, you know, in the 60s, which won Argentina the, uh, the World Cup. But the hand of God is basically rests in the heart and soul of the immigration minister in this country. Because you see, in this country, we have something really, really nice, which I'm sure the Chinese Communist Party would love to have. And that's arbitrary, indefinite detention. Not only is it legal, but it's also constitutional. Now, whether you live in Brisbane, Sydney or uh, Melbourne, there'll be refugees which are cooped up in uh, hotels in your part of the world. Now, I'm in Melbourne. The refugees here are cooped up in Carlton. They're also, I think, and other little places around around Australia, right? Now, some of these people, and the great majority, are refugees, irrespective of what Mr Morrison says when he says they're not refugees, which is a blatant lie or ignorance, and it's more likely to be an ignorance than lie. Some of these people have been cooped up now, whether it's in Nauru, you know, Papua New Guinea, medevaced here, stuck in hotels for nine years. Now, the two Australian nationals that have been held by the Chinese Communist Party have been held, and they've had one, I think, had a quasi-trial for three years in one case, 18 months in the other case. Nine years. And what's, the, what's these people's crime? At least the Chinese Communist Party said one's a spy and who knows what the other one is. At least they've made a pretense of some type of legal thing. But here it's all about indefinite arbitrary detention. Are they murderers? No. Are they spies? No. Are they terrorists? No. Are they thieves? No. Have they urinated publicly in the street? Not that I know of. So why are they detained indefinitely? Well, because they're refugees. And they came here by boat after a cut-off point on the calendar. Oh. So how long can we keep them entertained? Well, as long as the God, that's the immigration minister, and I think he has more power than God these days, ask poor old Novak. Not that I've got any sympathy for Novak. I was being facetious. But, you know, indefinitely. And there's nothing the Constitution says that protects them. There's nothing the courts can do to have them released. Nothing whatsoever. And what makes the matter even even more galling is the fact that the New Zealand government for a number of years now 
has offered to take 150 of these refugees out of detention, whether it's in Nauru, whether it's in, you know, whether it was in um, Papua New Guinea, whether it's you know, in, the hot- in the hotel prisons around this country. And the Liberal National Party refuses to release them. Although the New Zealand government has given an undertaking, they won't be able to come back into Australia. Not that you'd want to come back into Australia after nine years of indefinite arbitrary detention. So what I asked Mr Coates to do, the head of the International Olympic Committee, is to have a chat to Mr Morrison about the hundreds of people who are held here in indefinite arbitrary detention courtesy of the Immigration Minister who has every legal right and every constitutional right to hold them in detention. So next time you hear something about you know some authoritarian regime somewhere in the world like in Burma, they're not talking about the bloke in Burma, like in Burma, holding Australian citizens because of quasi-political crimes or political opinions, why don't we raise the issue of indefinite arbitrary detention in this country against people who have committed no crime? Or they have, well, they haven't really. I mean, you know, to try to seek asylum isn't a crime, although it is in Australia. Think about it. So Mr Coates, I encourage Mr Coates to forget about the Chinese. I encourage him to go and speak to Mr Morrison about the indefinite arbitrary detention of refugees in this country. Let's move on. Now getting back, you listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscana. Now getting back to this JobKeeper fiasco. Now I know our beloved Prime Minister, Shambolic Boy, Let's call him Shambolic Boy, SB. Mr. Scott Morrison, SB. Shambolic Boy. I know he doesn't want to upset his mates in the corporate world by asking for that $18 billion which they got accidentally to give it back to the taxpayer. Look, I know he doesn't want to upset them because I do know there is going to be a tough election campaign coming up and he needs every dollar for advertising. You know, you need to advertise constantly. Just ask the United, or disunited Australia Party, led by Mr Palmer, how important advertising can be. And you need a lot of money to advertise. And, you know, Mr Murdoch doesn't give away advertising space for three. You know, even if you're his mate, all right? You've got to pay for it. No mate rates, as far as uh, Mr Murdoch and his crew are concerned. You know, you pay through the nose, and to do that, you need money, and you need a bit of corporate money. And obviously, about of the eighteen billion dollars that kind of ended up in people's pockets, and you know, increase their profits. Well, I'm sure a bit of it will filter back to the Liberal National Party for their uh, election campaign. Now, the great thing about listening to the Anarchist World this week is we do a lot of lateral thinking, because that's what anarchism is about. It's about a bit of lateral thinking. It's not going up the right pathway. It's not knocking on the right doors. It's a little bit of lateral thinking. I mean, lateral thinking. Now, $18 billion. Now, remember Mr Morrison said he didn't want to actually provide rapid antigen tests to the population as a whole because it was a, an expense. More importantly, he didn't want to interfere with competition in the private sector. Now, $18 billion. Let's say let's, we've got 25 million people in this country. 
Now, if you're a close contact under the new rules and you want to go back to work and you've got no symptoms, you need to prove before you go into work that you're negative, right? And that needs a COVID-19 test. I know they, if you can find one, which is almost impossible, you know, they, they cost between 15 to 25 bucks, depending where you go. But if the government bulk purchased them, I'm sure they could get them for a five, five bucks each. I'm sh- I think actually two, but let's say five bucks. $18 billion, $18 billion, that's 18 1,000 million. Just in case you're confused about what a billion is, it's $1,000 million, okay? Now let's say we've got $18 billion and let's say for the sake of completeness, let's say we pay $10 each for a COVID-19 test. We could buy 1.8 billion rapid antigen tests for a population of 25 million, maybe 25 and a half million. Let's be generous. So that's 1.8 billion rapid antigen tests. Now, I'm sure that would be more than enough to cover testing for the next year at least. More than enough. But no, we'll leave that $18 billion in the pockets of those corporations and individuals who unnecessarily receive the, this government largesse because there's no mechanism by which you can claw it back legally. You've got to name, And we won't name and shame them in case we upset them and they won't kind of kind of give us a donation for the next federal election should be, needs to be held before the end of May. So that's the way you've got to think about things. You've got a little bit of lateral thinking. It's a little bit like Coates going to Morrison asking him about all the uh, asylum seekers and refugees which are arbitrarily detained for up to nine years. What are we doing about that, Mr Prime Minister? It's like asking the Prime Minister and his government, well... Why don't we get that $18 billion back? You can actually pass legislation. You're always keen to pass legislation to ensure that Centrelink recipients who get a little, few extra dollars have to pay it back. You're always keen to do that. You're always keen to harass people on Social Security benefits, aren't you? But when it comes to harassing your mates who are going to pay for your uh, extensive advertising campaign, well, well, maybe we don't want to upset them, do we? All right. Now, yeah, look, it's a pandemic-laden program. I heard the New South Wales Premier apologise for loss of loved ones. I heard that 77 people died on the 18th. That's right, on the 18th of January due to COVID-19. And all, so in order to, you know, make it seem nice, he apologises for loss of loved ones. Loss. If there's one thing that gives me the shits, it's when people talking about people passing over or loss of loved ones. We seem to have this objection to death in this country. 
People die. It's the nature of being alive. Death is the end of life. And we use all these little words to make it uh, agreeable, acceptable, so we don't actually have to face the reality. These people haven't been lost, they're dead. They're dead. They're gone. You know what death is? Death's a very simple concept. One minute you're talking to somebody and you're having a meal with somebody and you've got plans with somebody and then the next minute they're not there. They're dead. They're gone. All you've got is memories. Now the New South Wales Premier has been the primary let it rip advocate in this country just ahead of Mr Morrison and to a large degree the death of so many people is directly related to governments at the state and federal level not putting in place the necessary protections for the population before they let it rip so let's call a spade a spade. You don't lose somebody. They don't pass over to some mythical land. People die. And you don't see them. You can't smell them. You can't talk to them. You can't argue with them. Well, they won't argue back. So people are dying unnecessarily in this country. Not only are people dying, people who are providing health care, and I've been providing health care for the last two years, we are exhausted. We're tired. And it's about time that people understood that this is a collective effort. And people who think that somehow it's their individual right not to take action to protect the people around them are basically compounding the situation. They're no better than our friends in power. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. Well, 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 Tennis Australia. The Tennis Australia board, you know. Oh, poor old Novak. Told by the Tennis Australia board, the CEO, you know, of the, the, the people, you know. Come to Australia, mate. It'll be good. It'll be all right. We found we now a way to game the system. And obviously the federal government did its little research and noticed that people were angry, especially those people that had made a lot of sacrifices in order to contain the pandemic. So the Tennis Australia board, totally responsible for this fiasco. Their CEO, totally responsible for the fiasco. Because once again, they felt that their little game, their little event, and it is a little event on the world stage, their little event was somehow more important than the health and welfare of the people where it's held. And this is a taxpayer-funded, to a significant degree at the state level, event. And we are, where, so where was the Tennis Australia board when their CEO made these decisions? 
where has the Tennis Australia board explained anything about the decisions and the decision-making processes? They said, we stand behind our CEO. Obviously, they need to stand behind their CEO or they'll both sink. So if you want to blame somebody, don't blame the state government, don't blame the Commonwealth government, don't blame silly Novak, blame the Tennis Australia board. This fiasco should never have occurred. And I'd like to see, once the COVID-19 pandemic is subsided, I'd actually like to see a Royal Commission into the... I know it's a bit extreme, but I'd like to see a Royal Commission into the process, the way these decisions were made and the way they gamed, they tried to game the system. Think about it. Just think about it, how ridiculous the situation really was. All this time, effort, court hearings, challenges, about the only good thing about the Novak uh, uh, fiasco was the fact that it highlighted the fact that we in this country have the ability to indefinitely detain people for years for having the audacity to apply for asylum in this country. For years. At least it highlighted that issue. Not that anybody remembers now. That's over, isn't it? Novak's gone, so it's all good, isn't it? Well, nothing's changed there. Ah, see, we kind of... Look, we're a little bit egocentric, aren't we? You know, Australia, we're the centre of the world. And we're a bit egocentric about these things. And, you know, all the Western rich nations and their friends in the corporate sector who make these vaccines have said, well... You know, let's look after our own. Let's look after our own. See, see, viruses are interesting little animals. You could, you could almost call them anarchists in some way. Because, see, they don't care about sovereign borders. They don't care what governments say. They're just out there to have a good time and survive. Yeah, they just don't care. You know, no matter what legislation you pass, they don't care. A virus doesn't care. And, and a simple but brutal fact, which most people don't seem to understand in this country, is that viruses mutate. They mutate. They want to live. They want to survive. They want to rule the earth. A little bit like our current crop of leaders. But they mutate. And because they've got a very short half-life, they mutate very, very rapidly. And the way you deal with a pandemic is to protect as many people as possible. And vaccination does protect people, irrespective of what you hear, you know, in some minuscule quarters. It protects the population. So if you want to decrease the chances of a much more virulent mutation appearing in the world and because of globalisation it you know it spreads around the world in 24 to 48 hours as we've seen Omicron well somehow if you want to prevent that somehow you need to offer vaccination to everybody in the world the more people that are vaccinated the less chance of a virulent viral, virulent variant 
developing. Yeah, Omicron may have a mortality rate of 0.5%, maybe less. But what happens if a variant develops which has a mortality rate of 10%? That's 700 to 750 million people dead around the world. That's 255,000 dead in Australia. So this is one of those situations where being selfish doesn't really pay dividends. Sometimes being selfish pays a lot of dividends, you know, especially if you're a hoarder. You know, you hoard things in a time of crisis. But... This is one situation where being selfish actually compounds the issue. Wouldn't it be nice for these drug cartels to be nationalised without compensation unless they provide vaccines free of charge to the world? I mean, the threat of nationalisation, I'm sure, would get organisations like CSL and the other major pharmaceutical corporations around the world off their butts in terms of uh, spreading the good fortune. And the good fortune is the ability to vaccinate people and uh, help to decrease the ravages of uh, this particular pandemic. All right, one more. Well, I've got a few more things I want to talk about, uh, but... Uh, one important thing I want to I want to talk about is I'm really pissed off. Well, yes, I'm pissed off, believe it or not. I'm pissed off at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. I'll tell you why. Currently, and I've never heard this before. I know that Centrelink likes to think of the sov- of the citizens who use its services, whether they're permanent residents or citizens, as customers. This is part of that privatisation agenda. You're a customer of Centrelink. You're actually not a bloody customer. They provide you a service, and that's a social security service. And that social security service was put in place to protect the individual who found themselves in hard time and to protect the community from the ravages of the individual who finds themselves in a hard time. And if Centrelink wants to, you know, call people customers because of some government directive, fair enough. But when I hear the ABC talk about Centrelink customers, I think that's that's a bridge too far away. A bridge too far away. Now, on a more positive note, the public housing, everybody's business, uh, vigils outside the Victorian Parliament House will be recommencing on Thursday from midday to 1pm on the uh, 3rd of February. So if you go to the Public Housing Everybody's Business or Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook pages, that information should be up now. Now, for some time now, since the Tanaminua Moorball Hina Monument was established to uh, acknowledge the frontier wars in the centre of Melbourne in 2016, we have been agitating, that's the Tanaminua Moorball Hina Committee, for the 20th of January to be designated as National Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day or National First Nations People's Freedom Fighters Day. I mean, I, I think the protests around 20, the 26th of January have been going on for many decades. I mean, it's kind of a fixture on the calendar, but, you know, it, it, that's a, a reaction. 
what we want to see is something more positive in terms of acknowledging the tens of thousands of men, women and children who were slaughtered in the colonisation process and they're continuing, continuing issues that are related to this the current colonisation process or the ongoing colonisation process. And I think to pay respect to those men, women and children around the country and the islands around Australia who resisted colonisation is one way of bringing to the nation's attention the fact that truth-telling, as the Uluru Statement from the Heart recommended, be a pivotal part of the reconciliation process. No, no truth-telling, no reconciliation. So we are very keen for people around this country to find out who the freedom fighters in their areas were, to liaison with the local Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and create some type of event on the 20th of January, the day Tundamanuwe and Morbohina were executed on the 20th of January 1842 for having the audacity to resist white colonisation. Now this year, once again, we'll be holding the commemoration at uh, the Tundamanuwe and Morbohina monument at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne. We've got a number of people uh, speaking, including uh, Senator Lydia Forbes. Now, the first hour of the commemoration will be broadcast live on 3CR and it'll be streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The second hour of the commemoration is a more private affair. So we have speakers and people who uh, will be um, singing uh, regarding that, those particular events and their relationship to today. And that'll go from 12 to 1, and as I said, it'll be broadcast through Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, but it's also streaming live on 3cr.org.au. And we've got a bevy of speakers speaking, including uh, Janet Gulpin, who'll be doing the Welcome to Country for the, for the, for the Bunurong, Bunurong people. So if you are coming, bring flowers, and if you are coming... It can be pretty hot. Bring a hat or an umbrella. Now at one o'clock, at around one o'clock, we'll be walking silently from the commemoration site down to the Queen Victoria Marker to the spot where we think these men's bodies still lie to pay our respects. Uh, the first hour of the ceremony, as I said before, will be streaming live on 3cr.org.au or 855 on your AM dial if you can actually access 3CR. The second hour is a more private affair where everybody will have a chance to speak. But uh, bring flowers, bring yourself, bring your children. This is a family-friendly event. Now remember, obviously, because of COVID-19, you may decide it's not for you this year. It is an open-air event. We'll do the best we can to socially distance. But it is, it's up to you. But if you can't make it because of health concerns or because you just can't make it, do tune in to 3CR for the uh, first hour of the ceremony to hear the uh, speakers. Now, another interesting thing is that uh, the Northwestern tribes in uh, Tasmania, which Tanaminawai was a member of, asked the Tanaminawai Mobohine Commemoration Committee to put in a submission under the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Heritage Protection Act of 
1984 to request that Robinson's Island, the home of Tanaminaway, Malanja Bay Passage, including Cape Grim, be listed because there are plans afoot, there are plans afoot to uh, turn this area into a vast wind farm. I mean, this is a, this is a intangible cultural asset, Robins Island and Cape Grim, just as important as Uluru, the Sydney Opera House. The difference is everybody knows about Uluru and the Sydney Opera House, but nobody seems to understand the significance of Robins Island and Cape Grim. They are fundamental to that struggle for reconciliation. So join us tomorrow on the 20th of uh, January if you're in Melbourne at the corner of uh, Franklin and Victoria Street at midday. We'll start at midday sharp. The first hour of the ceremony will be broadcast live by Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. And what are the main principles of the Tanaminoa Marble Hine Commemoration Committee, which was formed in 2008? to hold a yearly commemoration on the 20th of January at the site the executions took place. That's the corner of Franklin and Bowen Street in Melbourne, or actually Franklin and uh, Victoria Street. To, two, to acknowledge the injustice of what happened in January 1842. Three, to highlight the unfinished business that exists between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. And four, wow, we actually achieved four, to work towards the establishment of a significant monument to public acknowledge what happened on that fateful day. So join us on National Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day. If you can't join us, listen in. And if you can't listen in and you can't join us, you can always look up on many, many search engines what Tanaminoi Mobohina is all about. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network on your local community radio station. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. I don't answer the phone. I get plenty of calls. If you want to talk to me, leave a bloody message. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest website, pibci.net. Download the application form. Join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Facebook pages, Public Housing Everybody's Business. Anarchismedia.org is another website, anarchismedia.org. You can go to my personal Facebook pages. Joseph Toscana, Toscana for the Public. Learn all about garlic planting. Let's make this (laughs) as facetious as we can. So... Mr. Prime Minister, I'm not buying a ticket from you if you're holding a chook raffle at your local pub. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!
You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.